Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking in at the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're a newbie, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us. So you're in good hands for some great Houston sports talk. And later in the show, the Astros go crush city on the Rangers. We're going to have some glass half full on the Texans. And since we're nearly two days from the Texans opener, let's get into some major storylines, starting with Titus Howard and Sean. The Texans say he can't play with the cast on his hand, so his wrist, so he's on the injured list. Yep, so he'll miss the first month of the season, um, and that that part is a little bit of a shocker, right? I mean, we knew there was a possibility that he would miss at least the first game. Uh, earlier this week, we saw him give it a shot, so to speak, wearing the club on his left hand, going out there full pads. Saw him go through full individual drills with his line group. Uh, obviously that day something must have happened or he felt some sort of discomfort or just flat out said, you know what? I can't play with a freaking club on my hand. This is just my opinion. I could have asked D'Amico. I could have asked uh, Slowick, but I'd rather ask the offensive line coach. And so whenever I get that opportunity, yeah, I will. But I would just presume at least having worked with offensive linemen before at a much, much lower level than a coach, I would say if he had to wear the club on his right hand, it might be a little bit more doable, but because it's his left hand and he's a right tackle, you've got to be able to grab. You've got to be able to move guys with that left hand, push guys inside, push guys outside. It's one thing if you get beat outside and your right hand is clubbed. Well, you can grab a hold on the inside. These guys hold and grab and pull and push all game long, every single down, and the one place you can get away with it is on the inside, and he can't do that. So I saw him again today for the second straight day in the locker room. He walked out of there without even a soft wrap on his hand. Now, his left hand is huge. He's a huge guy to begin with, but his left hand is huge. I think you could even tell uh, where he had the surgery or the plate put in. It's like right there. I mean, that thing is puffed up pretty good. So, hey, look, maybe the Texans just figure, you know what? We like Fant. We're comfortable with this. Whenever Titus does come back, our depth on this offensive line uh, is going to be crazy. And I think, you know what? It might be. This might be kind of like, you won't look, you want the fourth highest paid right tackle out there every single game. Don't get me wrong. But I think they upgraded at left guard, like by a lot with Josh Jones. Just looking at that dude. I think he's better than Kenyon. I haven't seen him play left guard yet, but I think he's better than Kenyon. That's probably a good bet. And George Fant, for my money, look, he's done a pretty serviceable job. He's never been a good run blocker in his career, but he's a pretty darn good pass blocker. And when you're talking about your franchise quarterback playing in his first game in a hostile environment, I like my odds. Yeah, you mentioned George Fant and Josh Jones, and I want to get to Josh Jones because Fant replaced Titus. Josh Jones replaces Kenyon Green. A quick reminder that Jones was great at right tackle last year, poor at right guard the previous year. So he struggled at right guard, but he was playing right guard. This time he's playing left guard. I don't know if that's going to matter. I don't know if that makes things worse because he's always played on the right side of the NFL, but it's worth noting. And Sean, you could put him at right tackle until Titus comes back. But if you believe He's the most talented left guard option on the roster, Josh Jones. You might as well get him acclimated right now, right? 
Yeah, and I think they have. Uh, I asked D'Amico yesterday if, in fact, he decided on, you know, who his starting offensive line is going to be. And, of course, he said no. I think I lead the entire media in the shortest responses, um, you know, gotten from D'Amico. I think he's probably <laughs> said about 10 words to me. I don't know if he really likes me too much, but whatever. <laughs> and he flat out said no. But for the second straight day, your offensive line from left to right has looked like Tunsil, Jones, Patterson, Mason, and Fant. You're not going to spend the better part of a week with a group that you're not going to roll with on the road in your first game with a rookie quarterback on Sunday in Baltimore. It's just not going to happen. So we'll talk to D'Amico on Friday. Then and only then will he probably say, yeah, we've got an offensive line group. Will he actually give us names? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't need him to. That's your starting offensive line. That's the way that it's going to be. I get like Josh Jones has never played left guard before, and I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but kind of not really. Like Kenyon Green still looks like he is one of the very best high school left guards in the state of Texas, body type-wise. Josh Jones looks like, and this is George, uh, George Fant for that matter too, they look like seasoned veteran NFL chiseled bodies. Like they are exactly the body type that I think Chris Strouser wants, needs, demands really from this type of scheme that he wants to run from this offense that they want to run. He looks a hell of a lot more like Laramie Tunsil, a hell of a lot more like everybody else on that line for that matter. Uh, Kenyon Green just quite simply does not. But ultimately it comes down to can you play? Can you do your job? Can you execute? Can you keep our young quarterback safe? And can we get some semblance of a run game going? That is the question. I feel pretty good from a pass protection standpoint, just given, you know, the history of their overall grades, according to Pro Football Focus, and just from what little I've seen. But it's going to come down to can you establish the run, particularly on the road with this running back duo? We'll see. Do you listeners agree with who starts? in the Texans' banged-up offensive line. If they indeed roll out who we expect them to roll out, these three guys, do you agree with that? Let us know in the YouTube comments. That brings me to six-round pick Jared Patterson, Sean. He is the starting center. If it makes you feel better, Patterson had over 1,600 snaps at Notre Dame, 34 games at center, 12 games at guard. He gave up zero sacks, zilch. Sean, there's a bit of irony with Patterson starting after all of these injuries that the Texans have had. He played through a bunch of injuries at Notre Dame. This is a guy that just stays out there no matter what. And Sean, they nicknamed him the Iron Man in South Bend. I think to do that, you got to be a little crazy. I think to do that, you got to be a little psycho. You got to have a little edge to you. Uh, you got to have a screw loose. I spoke to him probably for about five, seven minutes yesterday exclusively in the locker room. Just wanted to go introduce myself, and we ended up talking some good ball. Bobby Slowick said today that he's smart, tough, work ethic, consistency. It's all there. He's got the makings of a more than serviceable offensive lineman, but particularly center in the NFL. They really like what they'd seen from Patterson so far at the center position. And, you know, they had him at guard a little bit earlier in camp before all of this craziness happened with the injuries to Questenberry and Scruggs and the shuffling that's gone on. But I'm going to tell you just in the five minutes that I talked with Jared Patterson, 
that dude is all of the above. I got exactly what Bobby Sloak was talking about to the media today. Very, very bright guy, understands his football. And you know what? What's cool? Oh, you can't say this about a lot of these guys. They like talking ball with complete strangers and with the media. And that that's kind of what I enjoyed about Patterson. You know, again, I asked him particularly, hey, look, you know, I've talked to quarterbacks. I've talked to receivers, running backs, tight ends, everybody on this offense. And they've all said, you know, very similar things when it comes to this offense, that it's just friendly to their position. Well, I said, one of the positions that I feel like if this is so friendly for everybody else, particularly the quarterback, and we've heard it from Case, we've heard it from Stroud, we've heard it from Slowick, you know, all the guys that we've talked to, it's got to be a, a son of a gun to a center. Somebody's got to be taking the load. How difficult has it been for you, you know, to kind of get this job just here within the last couple of weeks? What's it been like for you? And he's like, Hey man, you know, I've been ready for it. It's not as hard as everybody's making it out to be. It's very friendly for me too. Bobby's done a great job with the terminology, uh, with the game plans. He's just ready to roll. And I, I think you, it, it's impossible to do it because you have this offensive line envisioned, right? We, we talked about this thing being solidified a month ago when everybody got paid. Everybody's out there taking first team reps. Kenyon's doing his thing. Maybe not the greatest, but he's still out there. We think he's going to be the guy and it's fine. This might be really kind of a blessing in disguise compared to where you thought you were. And I'm not saying that, hey, look, you don't want Juice Scruggs out there. You don't want Kenyon Green out there getting better, all that stuff. But, hey, his time maybe will come. I think they're they're good. I think they're improved already at left guard. And I think, you know what? Sixth-round pick, so be it. This guy was a team captain, an Ironman, a baller, got a lot of college experience, and he's looked pretty damn good doing it in limited time in training camp and in the preseason so far. Let's see what Jared Patterson has to offer this offensive line. Yeah, I guess you're – a lot more confident in Josh Jones than I am, but we'll see with that. And being better than Kenyon Green to me is not a whole lot of... Uh, it's not hard when you're the worst graded left guard in the NFL last year, and that's what Kenyon Green was. Uh, I would take a guy that, that that's at that size, that has a year more experience, that was going to be a swing tackle for the Cardinals, and a team saw value in him and necessity, and they brought him in. I think it's just you slide him in, you automatically have to feel better about the guy. Yeah, I, I just I would feel better about him at tackle. I just my Fair. the guard, the guard thing, I just don't feel real confident in that. Uh George Vant is fine. And and we got we gotta talk about this so much because this game is the ultimate test for the Texans improvement in the trenches. The Ravens were number three in the NFL versus the run last season. They were number two in rushing offense. As most of you listeners know, the Texans dead last versus the run last year, second to last in rushing yards. And Sean, I'm just curious. We didn't talk about it the other day, but are you concerned at all with Jake Hansen at starting strong side linebacker for a team that needs to stop the run in this game? Yes. That's a, that, he's shaking <laughs> his head, everybody, if you're listening on the audio portion. that's Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, I We got two Jake Hansen questions today, and my eyes almost popped out of my head. I was just like, what? <laughs> what are we doing? Where are we at, man? Hey, look, I, I just wouldn't be surprised – 
you might just go ahead and forget Jake Hansen because I, I don't know you're going to see him much on the field, to be honest with you. You're going to have to roll with Denzel Perryman and Christian Harris, and you're probably going to be a nickel most of the time, to be honest with you. And at least you're going to try to be. Hanson, he was a serviceable backup on a team that was trying to be bad, like on purpose last year. As far as being a serviceable backup on a team with the demands in this defense, I don't know. I just don't see it. I got to see more. I'm not going to kill him anything, you know, any more beyond that. I just got to see more because what I did see in the preseason for, for me was a linebacker that looked lost a lot of times, that was out of position, uh, whether it be in coverage or making plays at the line of scrimmage, identifying run. I didn't see that. And, you know, we're going to talk about guys like Garrett Wallow being light in the ass. Well, Jake Hansen, <laughs> you know, he just don't bring that thump to me. And if you're going to tell me like, okay, well, he's maybe more of a coverage guy. You're not going to have to really worry about him being that guy making plays at the line of scrimmage. You're a freaking linebacker. You won. You're going to, that's your number one job is to read and execute and stop run. But then two, if you're going to tell me like, well, this guy's just a better coverage linebacker. I'll point to the preseason. You know what? Not really, not really. He really wasn't, uh, you know, Barrios, you know, got him for a touchdown, was at the Dolphins game, I believe it was, and that was an extended play. He had to stick with him a long time. And again, it's a small sample size, but I just didn't really like what I saw from him. So, and I don't, again, I really don't think we're going to see too much of uh, a guy like Jake Hansen on the field to begin with on Sunday. Jimmy Ward will not play in week one, but should return for week two. So that's the good news. Eric Murray, Sean, he's like Freddy Krueger. You can't get rid of him. He's going to start. He is the Texans. Uh, he's the bridge in the secondary from that great Bill O'Brien era. <laughs> well, the hell, he gave him a, a different contract since then, too. They reworked his deal, I think. And the guy is uh, like a damn black cat. You know, how many lives does he have? <laughs> you know, uh, I think he's probably the highest paid member of the secondary next to Jimmy Ward. Maybe he's making more than Jimmy. I have no freaking clue. But he's been there. And I, I do have to say, like, Murray... Uh, he did flash a few times in preseason. D'Amico said it today. Matt Burke echoed the same. Sorry, D'Amico said it yesterday. Burke echoed those sentiments today when he'd said, hey, you look at our secondary and particularly our safety room. Like, we feel like we're really, really deep there. And I have to I have to agree because the secondary as a whole, but especially those safeties, it was hard to tell. Like, you can always, you always know when Petrie's on the field. But whether it had been MJ Stewart, Eric Murray, Jimmy Ward. I mean, they were all just making plays, various points. They always seem to be in the right spot. And I think that's probably more of an ode to the scheme, uh, how they've been coached to this point, is they just are in better position to make plays. And when you're a player and you have that confidence in your coaching staff to actually put you in position to be your most successful, sometimes you play up. We ain't seen Eric Murray uh, play a meaningful down, if we're being honest, for a football team in a really long time. He's going to have his first chance on Sunday. I'm not saying that he's he ain't been on the field. It's just I'm calling it what it is. This football team ain't been trying to win any games. Well, they're going to be trying their hell, uh, trying their butts off on uh, on Sunday in Baltimore. Not sure if this is a surprise, but it's official at least. Tank Dell will return punts. It was Cody Stutes that asked him that yesterday in the locker room. And uh, I think, oh, no, it was Paul Gawan, I think. He asked him, uh, hey, so you're going to be returning kicks? And he clarified, he said, not kicks, punts. But we asked Frank Ross today in his availability, he's like, hey, have you decided who's going to return kicks and punts? And he said, yes. 
And we said, well, who? And he said, you'll see on Sunday. Little did he know that Tank already spilled the beans. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be that guy to say something, but, you know, Frank likes to talk a lot. And I was just like ready to get out of there, hit the locker room. So I was like, whatever. But yeah, Tank's going to be returning punts. And this is good because he brings, obviously, a dynamic playmaking ability. You know, you give that guy a little bit of space. It can be pretty special. We saw a couple of really good punt returns in the preseason from Tank, a 13-yarder, I believe it was, against the uh, Dolphins, and then like a 25, 30-some-odd-yard return, uh, I believe it was in that last game against the Saints, or maybe it was the Dolphins as well. But he yeah, flashed. No, Saints game, yeah, he had that the big Saints. one. Set up the, the one touchdown that C.J. Yeah, that's right. Him. That's right. Uh, gave the Texans a short field and let uh, C.J. go to work, which he did. So I, I just think he's going to bring big-time value. And I think um, we should kind of expect to see the same thing offensively from Tank, to be quite honest with you. You know, maybe you are going to get to this, but John Mechie, he's on the depth chart. Third, I think, on the depth chart, maybe two right behind Robert Woods. I don't care where he's at. That dude didn't practice. He is not going to factor in to this week one game against Baltimore. Yeah, no surprise there. Before I get your final thoughts on the Ravens game, Sean, let me go glass half full on this Texans team for a second. And I I don't know. This is my first thing. Uh, I don't know about the rest of the fans, but I've never felt more confident in a Texans coach then I'll be with D'Amico on the sidelines. With all due respect to Super Bowl champ Gary Kubiak, this is exciting and fun with your head coach that is somebody that I am excited about, confident in, and respect. Number two, this idea that the Texans are boring is bogus. I think the national guys might be thinking this, but as a Texans fan and somebody that watches this team, Damian Pierce, not boring. Tank Dell. Not boring. D'Amico's defense is aggressive. Not boring. Will Anderson, not boring. Unlike Davis Mills, C.J. Stroud throwing downfield. Not boring. My last point and my last glass half full entry into all of this is next month is going to be one year since Jack Easterby was fired. And unless my memory is failing me, Cal McNair and the Texans ownership has gone one year without making a dumb move. For most organizations, that's not a big deal. But Sean, the Texans franchise is throwing out their old playbook. Don't give the rest of the NFL too much credit now because uh, this day and age with ownership and uh, how it's, uh, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, little, it's a little more common uh, this day and age than I think uh, we're used to seeing. But yeah, you, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I would just... It's, it's a very frustrating thing for Houstonians, particularly when we talk about things and we hear things from the national perspective. Houston always feels sort of slighted and disrespected, and I don't disagree with that. I think for various reasons in their respective sports, it, they are and have been. And to be honest with you, this season with the Texans will continue to be, but there's going to be exposés on Will Anderson. There are going to be features on him and Jalen Petrie and Damian Pierce. If those suckers stay healthy, those guys are budding stars. And we know this to be a little bit more true with guy like Petrie and Damian Pierce. But I'm telling you this right now, there is just a vibe. There is a feel. There, you just watch him and how he operates with Will Anderson. This dude can be really freaking good. Uh, Matt Burke was asked today, Kind of a crazy question maybe to some, but I think the fact that Matt Burke had difficulty answering it 
should tell you a lot. Compare the work ethic and the motor from Will Anderson to a guy that you only had the opportunity to coach one year in Arizona by the name of J.J. Watt. And he said, man, I'm going to have to, that's difficult. You put me on the spot here. You know, I'm going to have to be delicate with this one. And you know what he said? Yeah, it's there. But the only difference is between Will and J.J. is J.J. did it for the better part of a decade plus. Will, he's just getting started. I've been around him for six, seven, eight months. I got to see more. What made J.J. great, what makes great players great, elite-level athletes great, is you do it year in and year out. But it starts with executing it and being that guy every single week. And you got to be able to do it during adverse times. And Will hasn't faced any of that yet. So he did end it by saying, hey, let's not get too far ahead of things. But hearing that is very encouraging because, again, with so much newness, we're constantly given affirmation. Um, and our, our thoughts, our speculative uh, you know, forecasts, so to speak, they're validated, right? We don't feel dumb for thinking something. We don't feel dumb for anticipating what we're going to see. And so I think that's the most reassuring thing that I've gotten from, you know, Anderson, but a lot of these guys. I'll just say this, you know, too, from a national perspective, there's been no reason to pay attention to this Texans team from a national perspective over the last three years. And that is 100% correct. Okay. Nobody knows this organization like the back of their hand, like the local guys. Here's my problem with national people that just kind of dismiss there are other teams around the NFL. If they add guys, if they change things and the NFL changes by the year, you know, teams mm -hmm. that don't make the playoffs one year, all of a sudden are in the playoffs the next year and make a big jump. But it just seems like nobody nationally has, can do the homework at least to say, look, Hey, this team is a lot different than, you know, Damian Pierce is not somebody that just came on the scene. He's been around for a year. Hey, he was on his on pace for a 1,200-yard season. He had highlight strong. real plays. There was somebody nationally that was talking about John Mechie and what the impact that he was going to make. Didn't even mention Tank Dell. If you are you paying attention? Are you looking yeah. at the numbers? Hey, look, in, I mean, in, in, in training camp. And the other thing is, this I, my comments were not just for the national people. Look locally, you people need to tell your friends that are missing out on this. This team is not going to be – I think everybody just they've, – they've stopped paying attention. They're not looking at what's going on. I understand it. I understand the frustration with what happened under Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby. They're but they're, they're – you know, there's people around Houston that just are going, ah, the Texans, the same old boring, boring Texans. And they're, they're not boring. They're not. No, but Robert, I mean, you, you know this. I mean, come on. There's a great deal of skepticism. There's a great deal of – uh, cynicism, you know, with the Houston sports fan, particularly geared at the Texans. I, I like this whole six degrees of separation, right? Well, just poll just random people. I can tell you just from my perspective over the course of the last three years, at least a dozen of them, you know, told me like, man, to hell with these season tickets. You know, even my own uncle who's had season tickets back since the uh, late 80s in the dome watching the Oilers was about to squash him. He didn't. I talked him out of it, you know, I think a little bit, and he made his own determination. But when you alienate a fan base for three years, you ain't going to get them back like that. doesn't matter what you do with a draft pick or two. You got to show me, right? And uh, it's just like with a lot of other fan bases, you got to show me first. And I think when 
the weeks start flying by and you start looking at this product and you start hearing guys like Damian Pearson, Anderson and Petrie and hopefully Stroud and, you know, some of these other guys. And, hey, you know what? D'Amico's got these guys fighting. That narrative starts spinning and the tables are starting to turn a little bit. Look, people are going to come back slowly but surely, I think. It's just not all going to be repaired in one single solitary yeah. offseason. Yeah, so, I'm just throwing the pitch out there because I just – I know – you know, I just gave everybody the sound bite. Get on board. Yeah, I gave, I gave them the sound bite, and it's much more fun to root for a team when you were there right from the start. I, know, I just want to say this, though. You know, the point that I was just going to make earlier is just uh, the national, the national media, it doesn't register with them, and I could – absolutely understand the argument that it shouldn't you know show me right and it's about appealing to the masses like how much of the entire country wants to hear about or gives a damn about the houston texans and a couple of guys they got right uh show me first and then we'll talk about you become relevant within one of the worst divisions first and then we'll talk about you yeah but, when, you when know, i was talking the, about the on, national people let me make my point okay <laughs> just, i just want to make this point the local guys you know as soon as you come to a defense and say what you're saying you should pay attention. Pay attention. Look at these great storylines. Look how exciting they are. You're a homer. You're a homer. And I think that's part of the reason why you don't get a lot of pushback from people around here. And they're just, you know, going to throw their hands up and say, yeah, you know what? They'll show you. You'll you'll give us our respect at some point in time. It still took a hot minute, you know, and you you got to be grasping at straws um, to find a good story that didn't involve J.J. Watt even during his heyday and when the Texans were reeling off four straight division titles back then, so when times were good. And even then, uh, it didn't always feel like uh, times were great uh, in Houston with their football team. You're not a homer if you're listening to me all the time and you're you're going, oh, yeah, Robert, he's just a homer. Like, I've been as <laughs> critical as anybody. I have people griping to me all the time on Twitter or X or whatever saying, man, you're never positive or whatever. I'm like, man, when things are positive, I'm positive. When it's stuff to be worth, you know, going after, I go after it. That's just, you know, that's, and, and I'm critical because I'm a fan. I want better, you know, I want to win and all that sort of stuff. And by the way, while we've been talking, Sean, while you and I have been talking Texans these last mm -hmm. few minutes, the Astros just scored 12 more runs other Rangers. Just happened. <laughs> Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> what a what an amazing display, man. That was that was awesome. There's still a lot of baseball to be played and yeah, I guess I'll be that guy, but damn it, there is. <laughs> you know, when you're in a race this tight, the Rangers are still just three back of you though. It feels like you just curb stomped them and they're dead. Uh but the Mariners are still there, the Jays are still there. I'm going to give them the respect and tell me they prove me uh prove to me that I shouldn't. You're still looking at, you know, 20 ball games left and there's a lot of baseball to be played with your when you're just within, you know, three, two, and one game uh, of a team. One thing I think we learned from this weekend, uh, hey, great, you know, you scored 50 runs or whatever it was, 39 to 10, okay, and you hit 16 homers, you out hit them 50 to 22, fantastic. I knew they could do that. We all knew they were capable of that. I didn't need validation from their bats. I didn't need validation that, hey, you know, let's start talking about Jose Altuve being a Hall of Famer again. No. You know what I needed validation for? I need I needed to know that Fromber Valdez and Justin Verlander could go out there and save your bullpen's ass uh, when the bats are this hot. That they weren't going to struggle through five innings, and you're going to have to go through uh, six different pitchers on a given night when you're beating the hell out of a team thirteen to two or seventeen to one, whatever it was. You know what I'm saying? So 
pitching is what I think uh, was the real story here because we knew what these bats were capable of. And then two, yeah, because he is that good because he's a Hall of Famer right now. Hang it up today, Jose Altuve, um, because we talk about Jordan when he's hot, and he was, he is, he's going to be, I think. It's a big part of the reason, you know, the Astros have had so much success they had in recent years. But guess what? So is Jose Altuve. And the fact that this guy, you know, had been up and down with health issues, the broken thumb, the oblique a couple of different times this year's come back, and he puts on a performance like that in that three-game stretch is just four games, really, you know, with the consecutive home runs. It was just phenomenal. And um, that, that to me, was the biggest thing. And it, it, it got me thinking, you know what? For an individual, me, who a week and a half ago really believed and questioned that they did not have that dog, they didn't have that killer in them, um, to be away, to be facing your division foe, the team that you'd manufactured this garbage rival from since day one you stepped foot in the American League, to have it actually mean something and then to step on their throat the way that you did, yeah, I think they got a little bit of that dog in them. Now they got to come home and win some ball games. Yeah, I just don't know if they got the dog in them because the Rangers right now look awful. They looked awful going into the series. You know, I'm glad they curb stomped them. That pitching staff looked terrible. And I tell you what, uh, Martin Maldonado, we need you to be making a players-only meeting speech every couple of weeks from now on, brother, because, <laughs> you know, 900-plus OPS since that players-only speech, 300 batting average, you've got it in you. You just got to get up there and talk in front of the guys every couple of weeks and go out there and back up back up your talk because uh, this Martin Maldonado that we're seeing the last couple of weeks, where have you been my whole life? Where you been? You know, baseball is interesting. Like, real talk for just a second. The guy hadn't caught any less or any more since he'd made that speech. The guy hadn't changed what he does at the plate in terms of a stance, maybe an approach. Sure. Maybe he studied a little bit harder, the opposition, pitchers, sure. But you just said it, like, he's capable of it. And that's just the funny thing. Um, it, it, it It's about consistency, and it's about being able to deliver, you know, when your team needs you most. Um, but the best part about having such a stacked lineup, having such a, a, a well-constructed uh, team is that, it's baseball. Very rarely are guys going to all be hot at the same time. We talk about this crap every year at nauseum. When are they all going to get hot at the same time? Well, ain't none of them ever are. Okay. Series like that show you that, you know what? Yeah. Abreu's smoking them out of the yard. Maldi's doing the same thing. How many RBIs did Tucker have the other day? I don't even know if the sucker got a hit. Where was that cat? You know? Well, this um, team actually gets hot all at the same time, all the time. It's one night to the next night. One night they get all get hot and they win fifteen to three. The next night, where's the offense? And then they lose four to one. Baseball it's, man. That's yeah. that, that. This team more than any other team. It just seems like you know it's it. Hey, it's very you night to night. Fifteen one night. You score three the next night. You're averaging nine runs a ball game. It sounds yeah. really good. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? And well, that's, that's why they've been at the top, nearly at the top of baseball and runs scored this year. And 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 we don't think of it because we're always frustrated and we've had the injuries and guys have been in and out of the lineup and all that sort of stuff but yeah people just get caught up in the offense but we know it's the pitching it's the pitching we say yeah. it every week and 
And Sean, over the next nine games, the Astros have the Padres, the A's, and the Royals. Stink a Rooney. This is the time to put some space between them and the Mariners. Six and three, man. You know, I mean, you're just talking about winning series, and that's that's just being realistic. You know, that's one thing that the Astros have done better than most during this entire seven year stretch. Um, is is win series. They've won probably more ball games than any other club in Major League Baseball. Dodgers are certainly up there. I'm sure the Braves, maybe the Yankees. Uh, the Rays, but, you know, we're talking about sustainability, just putting up ridiculous numbers. The one thing that this team does, they just know how to do, is they do win series. And I ain't looking for a sweep for the Royals. It'd be nice. Ain't looking to sweep the A's. It'd be nice. Sure feels like they should. Uh, Same thing with the Padres. But, you know, you take two out of three in every single one of these series, six and three, that's a really good mark. And that's really kind of what it comes down to. And I know that's probably the message – you know, from Dusty to the ball club, and it's certainly doable. Um, you know, you you go look back now at probably three solid turns through this rotation and think back to the conversation that we were having, uh, you know, two and a half, three weeks ago, you know, after J.P. France gets blasted after two and a third, you know, for 11 hits and uh, the start before Fromber spun that no-hitter. Um, I mean, times were tough. <laughs> you know, it was like, holy smokes. You knew Christian was struggling. Hunter was failing to, you know, be consistent. And, man, JP just got rocked like the one guy you could hang your hat on. And it was just – it was tough going. Verlander doesn't look the same. He's struggling to get through four or five innings. Now, hey, look, three turns through the rotation. These guys look like they're in a pretty damn good flow. And this is two out of the last three starts where I've heard Justin Verlander talk about, you know, finding something mechanically, feeling the best that he's felt with the fastball out of his hand, uh, generating swings and misses, you know, keeping guys off balance and feeling like he's really in command out there. Fromber doing his thing. Um, you need those two guys to be a to be the one, two that you're paying him to be, that you're expecting him to be, that they need to be. Uh, for this team to to do something special. And look, Vegas is starting to think that way too. You know, I think uh, they're the favorite to come out of the American League to win the uh, World Series. I think they're the, uh, they get the second best odds to do it uh, behind the Dodgers or the Braves at this point in time. Uh, so, hey, look, it feels good. You just need to finish strong. And, and doing so, you need to stay healthy. And then I, I think, look, you're in it. I think the best path is a division winner. Uh, and once you're in it, you know, through that way, they can do something special again. What's the Texans score? They're going to keep it close. What do you think? <clears throat> Man, you know, uh, what, what's, what's close. I mean, I, I, I think it could be uh, close theoretically, like throughout the ball game, you know, they were talking about the weather today. I guess they're forecasting a little rain up there could kind of muck things up a little bit. And maybe that benefits a team like the Texans, which you don't expect much from offensively. Um, maybe have a lot more hopes from a defensive perspective that could naturally kind of help keep the game a little bit closer. Uh, Cause it not only, you know, dictates what your capabilities are offensively, but you know, your home team as well. And they've got a lot of new weapons that they want to showcase Odell Beckham, you know, showed up on the injury report today. That's one of the guys that scares the hell out of you. Um, you know, another weapon for Lamar Jackson. Um, I, you know, I, I think, yeah, close relatively, but maybe the Ravens, you know, get a late score to make it look a little bit more ugly than it actually was. I mean, I'll say something like, uh, in the neighborhood of 27 to, uh, let's see, 27 to 13, let's call it a two touchdown ball game. 
live post game this Sunday, first one of the year. We're going to come at you right after the game. Looking forward to it, Sean, and can't wait to see what this team's got. Can't wait to watch C.J. Stroud in his first game as a Houston Texan. And, of course, Tank Dell. Got to get excited about the Tank Dell era starting. Looking forward to all that. Uh, Don't forget, if you're out there and you're just finding us, subscribe so you are notified as soon as we go live right after the game on Sunday. We're going to get it up as soon as possible. It's a road game. So uh, we will talk to you uh, real soon, just in a couple of days. Texans football. Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.